Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we talk about our favorite comic books and graphic novels. I am your host, Dallas. Dallas? With a T? With a T. I'm Alexis with no T, thank you. <laughs> and I am Anne. Yeah, no Dallas tea. that rhymes with ballast. <laughs> Sorry, I've got a cold, everyone, and trying my hardest. It's okay. Um, yeah, no, I'm definitely no tea. I'm on a very strict medical regimen to actually make sure that there is no tea. <laughs> so. Oh, that was good. That oh, was good. Hell. I, I saw a TikTok home remedy to like up your tea was like ice your balls. And so I'm on the opposite regiment of Addison or not Addison of Anne. Also Addison. She's not icing her balls. Um, <laughs> This Welcome is to the show, be... folks. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hi. Hi, everyone. Hi. I'm the problem. It's me. <laughs> We're glad you're here. Yeah. So whoever said, Dallas, you should show run this one. Uh, incorrect. Incorrect, Anne. I should not have been <laughs> that the was one me? that took on this episode. Today, we are talking about one of my favorite comic books of all time. Anne came to the show. She said, folks, it's finally time. We are covering today The Superior Spider-Man, written by Dan Slott, drawn by Umberto Ramos, uh, Giuseppe Camoncoli, and Ryan Stegman. Folks, this is a big one. If you are here, you are either a longtime fan or you have a strong opinion about this comic book. This was a divisive comic book in the mid-2010s. Smack dab in the middle of Dan Slott's 10-year legendary run on Spider-Man. This is the story where none other than Otto Octavius, the Dr. Octopus himself, pulls off the impossible, swapping his mind with Peter Parker moments before death and letting our beloved Spider-Man die in the body of Otto Gunther Octavius. And six and Otto succeeds Peter in Spider-Man's body as none other than the superior Spider-Man. This story arc, which began in Amazing Spider-Man 698, continued into Amazing Spider-Man 700, where the climactic event happens. And then for 31 issues, three years of Spider-Man comics were built off of the back of this insane status quo. This thing that in the Silver Age would have been one issue, in the Modern Age would have been a three-issue arc, went for three years and became not only the definitive Otto Octavius story with his redemption, his character study, and some of his best moments, but a gigantic love letter not only to the strength and power of Peter Parker as Spider-Man, but to Spider-Man comics as a whole, visiting many of the comics' best eras with homages to not only the Lee Ditko Ramita era, but the symbiote Spider-Man era, the Roger Stern Hobgoblin era, and our favorite arch nemesis of Spider-Man himself, the return for the first time in Dan Slott's Spider-Man of the Green goblin norman osborne this run has it all it is one of my favorites of all time and i think that it 
is one of the most readable Spider-Man comics ever. So if any of that sounds fun to you and you have not read it, I guarantee you, you will read this in two days. You will read those 33 issues in two sittings tops. Go ahead, push pause, return to our conversation because this will be a spoiler-filled chat about the superior Spider-Man. So now that we have that introduction out of the way, I want first Alexis, your initial thoughts, and then Anne, your initial thoughts on this run that you chose. Take it away, Alexis. All right. I'll just come out right and say it. I, for the many years that we've been doing this, it feels like a decade at this point, I have said time and time again that I'm not a fan of Spider-Man. I can uh, I can appreciate him as a character. I can understand how he fits into the different teams of comics that we've read throughout our history. But I will never go out in the wild and pick one, pick up a comic that has this little bug boy on the cover. I'm just, he's just not for me. Just not for me. But when I tell you that Dallas is in fact a thousand percent correct in the fact that you will read this so damn fast because it will just basically grip you, (laughs) grip you by the throat. And it's like, okay, come with me. We're going to go and read this amazing run of Exactly. I mean, exactly what Dallas said. Like, it is the perfect love story, like loving story about Peter Parker as a character, about what he is, what he stands for, and how he himself is the result of what Spider Man is as a character. And to have Doc Ock come in and do a lot of what I said was morally gray, but Dallas disagreed and said it was just not just evil. <laughs> not of evil. Um, it just was it just was so fun. Like I there were so many funny beats of just him figuring out what he's doing with the whole Spider-Man mantle and coming to terms with what I referred to as uh the Marvel Jiminy Cricket, which is uh Peter Parker's subconscious that's a teensy bit left in there. His moral do-goodery, if you will. Um and it just was so fun to like have this wide um, cast of characters that I am familiar with. I mean, I I feel like you can't find someone on the street who doesn't know who the Green Goblin is, Venom, like all these other big cast characters, but then also to be introduced to a lot of fun new ones that I've never read about before. Um, it just was it just was so fun, and I really did enjoy the twist of the storytelling with. Doc Ock taking over. I just thought I just thought that was a fun change. It just was something that I've never experienced before. And I would suggest it to anybody. Yeah, that was... Listen, before I get into my thoughts, I need to make some things very, very clear. Um, I have a, a certain personality online and a certain reputation for, for um, being a little, a little cruel, a little mean to this bug boy and a little bit of my own secret history with Spider-Man. Um, I've been there since the beginning, actually, this is, I'm, I'm holding it up on camera. So all of you at home can't see, but this is my, my Spider-Man visual dictionary that I've had since I was like 10 years old. And that was my Bible forever. I read that book so many times that the pages are currently falling out. They're all all crinkled and old. It is ridiculous. That book changed my life. That book is why I'm here. 
that book is what really made me start thinking about superheroes and comics and everything altogether. Spider-Man was my first comic love. That is undoubtedly true. <clears throat> Yet, it is also undoubtedly true that, like Lexi, I don't know many forces on Earth or Heaven that could get me to pick up a Spider-Man book on the stands every other week. I feel like I got to that point where it's like, he is my first love, but also the one I became the most familiar with. So I'm like, I'm going to branch out. I'm going to try some new things. I'm going to try some nice new spices and figure out what that looks like. And to be honest, I had a lot more fun over there than I did with Mr. Peter Parker, usually. And so I just kind of stuck there. But I wanted to go back and read Superior Spider-Man, because even though I have that, <clears throat> you know, that that act to put up that I hate this boy, I know that there are some really great stories out there with him. And I, I think you'd have to be completely intentionally ignorant to say that those don't exist. And I think one of the really compelling parts about this arc is it is one of the few times in Peter's history where that status quo really did change significantly for a large amount of time. And it's not with a character that has been around as long as Peter. <clears throat> it can be really, really hard, I feel, to find those moments where it's like, okay, we've had decades and decades of Spider-Man doing the exact same thing, fighting the same villains, doing the same, having the same fights, <clears throat> finding the same ways out of them. So what's, what's new? What's something fresh and unique? And fun and superior has always been that book in the back of my mind where I've read a little bit, but I wanted to finish it. I wanted to go back and check it out because I needed to know how it ended. I needed to know how it actually went because the idea itself is really, really fun, especially in hindsight. And I wanted to see if it lived up to the, to my expectations and to the opinions of those I trust the most who really liked the book and also to maybe get the the perspective of those who don't. And, you know, for those of you at home, you feel free to play um, a drinking game with us. And it's basically just drink every time, take a sip every time someone says something that's going to get them canceled on Twitter. Um, starting now, I liked this book. Um, I thought it was great fun. I thought it was really unique and innovative. Um, <laughs> it's... There's something so fun as a Peter Parker hater, hater to watch someone completely destroy his life. It, it is fun from that aspect, for the memes alone. But also, it is so interesting from a narrative, dramatic perspective to watch this story unfold and feel every single slight interaction just, like, sticking in your chest and, like, twisting around in there and wiggling around like some parasite beneath your skin where you're like, that didn't feel right and that's going to have consequences and, oh, I didn't like that or... Oh, that was so awkward and uncomfy. This is um, <laughs> this is awkward social interactions. The book, and if stuff like that makes you anxious, this book is gonna be perfect because it just <laughs> it is so uncomfortable to read at times, but in like the best of ways. Otto is such a fun character to read, and I'm sure for Dan Slay, it must have been a fun character to write because he is just such the traditional supervillain TM and he has all those perfect mannerisms and when you put him inside a pers person like Peter Parker and combine that with that great power and you just get absolute unfettered chaos and it becomes something that's just uniquely um, exciting and yeah I think the the only 
flaws I would hold against it is I feel like sometimes the art stumbled a little bit. It's when you have a team of rotating artists, it's always sometimes difficult to find that consistent identity. And I always find that like one artist that I cling to the most. And for this run, it was definitely Humberto. And I always kept wanting, like, I wish I had more of him. I wish he was around longer. Cause every time it's not him, I feel like I lose just a step, just like I, I trip a little bit, but I catch back up and you know, it's, I might think of something else as we go, but honestly, this book had cardiac. This book had cardiac, that guy that I only know from page 130 of the Spider-Man Visual Dictionary. But the moment I saw him, I was like pumping my fist and like, hell yeah, I know that man. That man is my bullshit man who I love with my whole heart because he is part of my childhood. And to have all those moments with these different Spider-Man characters showing up, it was just an, an absolute blast from start to finish. My Spider-Man visual dictionary glup shit out was always Ezekiel. Oh my for God. Some reason. The, the image of Ezekiel, I had a different visual dictionary from you, but similar background. My mm-hmm. visual dictionary of Spider-Man was my heart and soul. And the John Romita Jr. artwork of Ezekiel barefoot standing against a wall was very evocative to me as a small boy. So he was always my favorite guy that made no sense at all. Um, and then reading the actual comics with him in him, he is so very stupid, but still my darling baby. I'm not a big fan of the spider totem stuff. Um, which is hilarious because like in comic stores, that is the, oh, that's a dumb thing we don't look at. But on comics Twitter, they all love that stuff and hate Superior, where like everyone I've met in real life really liked Superior. Mm-hmm. It is a truly flipped paradigm there. But... I love the Superior Spider-Man. Like it is genuinely my favorite era of Spider-Man that I ever read coming off the shelves. There mm-hmm. are other storylines that I like better from Spider-Man, but I have always read them in retrospect as a big chunk. This is a comic book that I went and picked up every single month and there is there has never been a Spider-Man comic that I have so regularly put at the top of my to be red pile. I have to read this before I'm even out of this comic shop stack. And I, I love Spider-Man. He is my favorite superhero. I have never taken Spider-Man off of my pull list in 10 years. I've read every Spider-Man comic since brand new day. And I've read many of them before brand new day. And I like the vast majority of them. Like, I'm just going to get that out of here 14 minutes in. I love Spider-Man. I love Spider-Man comic books. I have come across very few of them that I did not like. So if it's important to you as a Spider-Man fan that people have certain runs or takes on the character that they do not like, I this conversation might frustrate you, but I think what is so fun about Spider-Man is similar to Batman is his ability to be such a versatile and malleable character. Spider-Man can truly be anything and in a lesser way to Batman. Like I think Batman is truly the most versatile fictional character that's ever been created, but Spider-Man he's one step down from that. There are a few key features to him that do always show up and superior Spider-Man is probably the furthest that concept has ever been stretched. But in doing that stretching, the stress points became so evident 
that the argument that this series like takes away from Peter Parker or like shames his name is honestly silly because this book does, like Alexis said, so much to demonstrate why Peter Parker and Spider-Man are important by pointing out those stress moments when all the power with none of the responsibility is there. This is why we need Peter Parker. Peter Parker would not have messed this up. Peter Parker would not have let it get this bad because he is a good person, because he is kind, empathetic, and Mm -hmm. puts other people first. And in taking him away and putting someone who is so different from him in the spotlight, this book actually served as one of the greatest love letters to that loss, to that character, because we are consistently reminded, oh yeah, Peter wouldn't have messed that up. Peter would have done Mm -hmm. better than that. Peter would have treated these people better than that. And then even just beyond that, this is so fun. Like the character interactions are so fun. The supporting cast, Cardiac, great. Mary Jane Watson has a ton to do in this. Carly Cooper has a ton to do in this. Alexis got to meet Yuri Watanabe. She's awesome. And like Phil Yurik, the Hobgoblin, great. We got Agent Venom in here. We had a whole symbiote arc. We had Hobgoblin selling supervillain secret identities to losers <laughs> for money. That's fantastic. We had Hobgoblin versus Green Goblin. Like every single arc of this, something interesting and fun was happening. And I just, I can't say that that is always the case. Like I, I swear this is not going to be a Spider-Man bad co- podcast. This is a celebration of Spider-Man. But I Mm -hmm. think that this is some of the most condensed fun that I've ever read in a Spider-Man comic. And that that really adds to its readability. So I want to talk just really quick while we're still in sort of this initial thoughts area. Just some quick highlights, favorite sections of the run. And this time we'll go Anne first, then Alexis, then myself. Um, So the the two that stand out the most to me are the two interactions with villains that I really, really thought put Otto there on that edge, where it's like, this is something that Peter would never do. And the first one, of course, is obviously his showdown with Massacre. And it's it's that conversation you get a lot with superhero comics, especially Batman or Spider-Man or Superman, where it's like, hey, if this hero would just kill, then maybe the Joker would stop doing his his bullshit. And you reach a part where you're like, okay, realistically, in the real world, I can I would understand what you're saying here. But narratively, it's an argument that doesn't make sense because it's like, okay, so you, you want him to just kill all the, the fun characters and then you can never have a story with them again? That makes sense. I got you. I follow you. You're the same people who would complain if they never saw that same character again. I get it. But I love putting a real moral dilemma like that, a real moral quandary into this comic when for the first time you have that license, you have that opportunity to to take it and go and explore the aftermath of it and what it means. And I wish that was a moment that had actually been expanded on a little bit more as the run had gone on, but I thought it was very, very cool that they actually took that step to at least attempt it. I thought it was, I thought it was great. Um, And it's it's one of those that goes back as harder and harder to read because a character like Massacre almost doesn't feel that much like a supervillain anymore because it's a, a situation that too many Americans find themselves in 
all the time nowadays. And it's it's it it's it's an interesting little chapter in this book and that it, it stuck with me for a lot of reasons. The other and, one and hmm? have you ever read No One Dies, the original story that Massacre is from? No, I have not. Earlier in Dan Slot's run, mm-hmm. Massacre is Dan Slot's invention. There right. is a two-part mm-hmm. drawn by Marcos Martin's story called No One Dies. I think it is Dan Slot's very best Spider-Man he's ever written. Really? So absolutely worth checking oh. out. If you want more, this is very much a strange epilogue and twist on an amazing story. So if you mm-hmm. want more Massacre, more of like what's all that's about, absolutely go read those two issues. Got it. Noted. And I think I will. There's... um. That was interesting, but I also love, I love, love, love the scene where um, Phil Yurick, that well, that was his name, right? Yeah. Where he's yes. on the run and he's in the Daily Bugle and right then Otto pulls a, pulls the Injustice Superman, goes on the screen is like, hey, I'm looking for this rat. His name is Phil Yurick and he's the Hobgoblin. If you see him, you know, shout out my way. Hashtag Spidey get him or whatever. And the the panel where the entire bullpen just turns to him and he's like oh shit um and the the entire issue that followed just the dramatic tension in that scene was unbelievable i can't remember the, the last time i'd seen something like that happen in a comic where it's just all these civilians who've just figured out they are in the the midst of a super <laughs> like a supervillain's presence and they're trying to get to the bottom of it and whatever was going on with him and um, what's her was her name Nora? Uh, yes, yeah, Nora the, Winters. Yeah, and the the fact that they had been dating and running hobgoblin stories that was so so fun to have such a sticky web (pun intended) for a Spider-Man comic of just messy interpersonal drama. I'm like, this is the type of shit I can eat up. This is a this is the perfect perfect situation, and I just I was I was beaming as I was reading that. I was just this is this is great. I think one of Dan Slott's greatest strengths as a Spider-Man writer, and just all the comics he writes, frankly, is his understanding of the Stan Lee. This is all a big romance soap opera mm-hmm. aspect of superhero comics. Like Dan Slott always has interesting non-superhero characters playing a major role in his books. Like there is such an interesting full cast in Superior Spider-Man. We spend just as much time out of costume as we do inside costume. And that is not always the case. Sorry, uh, you, Lexus, what are, what are your favorite sections of this run? Oh, you're good. I feel like I want to say also before I get into like more specific of my favorites, like I also really noticed how much I was enjoying Peter out of costume more Mm -hmm. in this run. I was like, Oh, he's, he's actually interesting. He has funny little things that he does. Like specifically some of my favorite parts that I mentioned to Dallas was like when um, Octavius uh, realizes that Peter doesn't have a doctorate and he's like, what do you mean? (laughs) I'm not a doctor. And then he like goes back to school to get it. I thought that was the funniest shit. I was like, oh my gosh. He, first of all, is streamlining Peter's job to make it easier for himself by making these little 
spider bugs to walk all around the city for him. And like just doing the funniest shit because he's like, what is this kid doing? He's like, he is just flying by the seat of his pants. He has no idea what's going on ever. And to just like have that funny commentary of like, I don't know. I I don't know what it, why I think it's so funny, but to have your like quote unquote greatest supervillain foe mm-hmm. be in your life and be like, what is he doing? Like what in the world? Just be like so utterly flabbergasted by Peter's life. He's like, what is this? Girl, you live like this? You live like this? <laughs> and then like to have him try and be like to try and date Mary Jane and be like, mm, no, I see why this isn't working out. And then like going his other way. Like just like, I don't know. Obviously, I loved the Spider-Man moments with him learning and being that character. But also just to like have him in the normal beats of Peter's life was just so entertaining for me, which I don't know. I feel like that's part of the draw for sure. <laughs> what else? Oh, what else? Um, let me think. I do have to say like I – there were a lot of new characters that I got introduced to, which mm-hmm. was also really fun. Um. I mean, Dallas mentioned Yuri Watanabe, like, um, also Anna Marie Marconi was really, in, like, really fun for me. I liked her as a character. Mm-hmm. I thought that their relationship and, like, their time that they spent together was very endearing. Also to, like, find, right. to, like, have a character that also Otto's like, oh, I, I like you. Like, I want to, I want to sit here by you, you know, like, to actually enjoy another person's company when he internally is like this big villain that we've been we've had around forever you know to like have him come off more as a normal human being was also really interesting um oh and then also what was her name the ex-girlfriend carly cooper carly cooper she was also really fun number one carly cooper fan yeah right here all of the comics before this when they actually date she is amazing I love in that storyline I was telling you about off Michael Alexis Spider Island. Mm-hmm. She's the first person that you notice. And so there's this great moment where she doesn't yet know that Peter is Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so he walks in the room and she is the one stuck to the ceiling. <laughs> and she's like, I can explain. It's like one of my favorite pages in Spider-Man. That would be funny. That would be funny. And then Peter but, yeah. thinks like he gave it to her. Yeah. Like an STD. And oh, it's <laughs> It's a great story. That is funny. Yeah. And then like also to have her be the one that figures it out because she's like, this little bitch is not acting like himself. <laughs> like, and then just the whole stuff with um, the Green Goblin and like the Goblin serum I thought was super interesting and fun. And then to have Goblin also fa- like be in the know um, and to kind of have the two villains facing off was very interesting and a really fun dynamic for me also. Um, because I guess, like, I mean, they're kind of peers in the workforce, if you will. Um, but to just, like, have them picking each other's brains while also kind of having an understanding of one another was super interesting. Um, and it just, it just was so chock full of, like, just so many unexpected things for me. Like, I really had no context going into this of like what what this would even look like like i think that is such a fun idea to have 
Doc Ock in the body of Peter Parker. I, I really, really enjoyed it a lot. I think my, we will absolutely come back and talk more about Anna Marie Marconi. Mm -hmm. I love her. Um, Love Carly Cooper. I love, love all the women, women TM that get things to do (laughs) in this book that are interesting. Yuri is fantastic. Um, My big ones I want to shout out. uh, No surprise here. They are both drawn by Umberto Ramos, but the Venom arc for me is one of the best Venom stories since the original. That superior Venom design is mm-hmm. stunning with the big arms coming out of the back of it. And it's long and lanky, but somehow still bulky and terrifying. Just the little bits of teeth coming out, the fire gauntlets, the superior Spider-Man gets to have. And it's just a classic superior Spider-Man. This would not have been an issue for Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. Like this book shines when narratively the conflict arises out of the fact that Peter Parker is not there. So like Peter would have listened to flash and this would have been a non-issue, but because Mm -hmm. Otto is there, he makes everything worse. And then he believes he can overcome the symbiote because he's such a donkey's ass. So he just takes it on and it becomes an Avengers level threat because this guy cannot communicate and looks down on everyone around him, but Anna Maria. And I love it. I love it. I think Mm -hmm. Humberto Ramos's artwork is great throughout, but man, it comes into its own in that arc. Like that arc through the Hobgoblin story right after that is what his artwork would be until about strange Academy. There's another big level up for strange Academy, which by the way, is now finished, and we should absolutely read on this show. He did all the artwork for that one, Alexis. Doctor Strange opens a wizard school, and there's a whole cast of little high schoolers learning to be wizards, and it's amazing. You're going to love all of them. You'll love it so much. Um, Mm. But that is one of my favorites. And then maybe my favorite issue in this whole thing is the introduction of the Spiderlings when they raid Shadowland and depose Kingpin. Because when he shows up with henchmen in matching Spider-Man outfits, with giant spider-themed tanks to blow up the city, it is the most, this is a supervillain using supervillain techniques to be a superhero that this run ever gets. And it's just bombastic and fun. And I love that whole dynamic of Spider Island 2 and the minions and just like the fascist state that Otto Octavius mm-hmm. sets up to be a superhero. Like it's it's so great how good he is at it and undermines himself. Like he mm-hmm. does all these things that he's like, I am truly the superior Spider-Man. Crime is down. Like, and there comes this moment in the run where you're like, is he better at this than Peter? Like, is he doing a better job at this? And mm-hmm. then it all comes tumbling down with none other than the Green Goblin himself, Norman Osborn. Oh, Goblin Nation is crazy. But we'll talk more about that finale soon. I want to shift a little bit now 
to touch on something Anne brought up earlier. And so I want Anne to start again, then maybe Alexis and then me. Um, I want to talk about the artist on this run. I want us to talk a little bit about Umberto Ramos, Ryan Stegman, and Giuseppe Camoncoli. What we thought strengths, weaknesses, and just the blending of this whole bunching of characters. And maybe to let Anne collect her thoughts a little bit, since I'm kind of springing this on her. I don't know if either of you two read the annuals, but they're a ton of fun. And they were both drawn by Javier Rodriguez, who is, I think at this point, the most interesting superhero comic book artist. Like his page layouts are incredible. He did this book with Mark Wade called The History of the Marvel Universe that I would love to cover in this, where they did every major story arc as a single page, where he drew these big, abstract, beautiful art pieces that somehow told the entire Civil War in one page. And this is some of his earliest Marvel work, where it's still pretty normal superhero comic book, but you can start to see his style really come through. And it's, it's stunning. So he's not going to be a major part of this conversation because he wasn't one of the three artists in the stable. But <laughs> I did want to give him a shout out because his work is stunning. He's one of my favorite artists working. When he popped up, I think it was like one of the, <clears throat> the penultimate issues for just a little bit. I was like, oh, that's that's the best jump scare I've had this entire time. Yeah. Love Javier Rodriguez. I think... The thing that separates the three main artists in this book, Humberto, um, Ryan, and Giuseppe, is mostly the fact that I love Humberto Ramos's style. It has its unique identity. It has this charm to it. It's instantly identifiable, and it's just it's fun. It's it's just one of those character artists that I will instantly pair with Spider Man. Like I will instantly pair um ed mcginnis with superman that's like he's like one of my quintessential superman artists humberto ramos is one of my favorite spider-man artists so every time i see him and he's working his magic i'm just like this feels like spider-man to me this feels like perfect modern spider-man and i enjoy, I, I adore every single second of it and i think the the issue with ryan and giuseppe here isn't the fact that like i didn't think they were awful in this it's just i've seen them better like, I think Ryan Stegman's magnum opus so far has been his work on Venom with Donny Cates. And I think there his his art is unparalleled. It's it's gorgeous. It's dynamic. It's loud and crazy and bombastic. And here it's just, it's there. It's filler. It's, it, it, it gets the job done, but it's, it's not like, um, it didn't blow me away. There weren't like visuals that stuck out. And Giuseppe, um, I love Giuseppe's work on um, bigger, more sci-fi titles. Like, I love Giuseppe on Darth Vader. I love Giuseppe on Marvel's Predator run that just came out not too long ago. But here, I just, beyond a couple spreads, which I thought were fun, that one um, in Goblin Nation where Norman is showing Otto all those places that were really important to him, on one side of the page and then on the other side they're all blowing up one by one and there's just the laughing goblin face in the middle i thought that was a gorgeous spread i thought that was very well done and executed but it was 
it's like that was the only moment that stuck out to me. The rest of it, I was like, you could have put anyone else here, and I feel like we could have gotten the same effect. So that's that's for me where the art was like not exactly lacking, but where it was just there. It was completely fine art. I I have similar thoughts, but I'll get to them after Alexis. Um, do you want to talk about the three artists and which styles you felt most drawn to? Sure. Um, I will just go out and say I'm not I'm not as well versed in these um, artists as these two are, but I definitely like I'm going back and kind of flipping through now while we're talking about it and. Uh, seeing which issues are affiliated which with each of them and now that i am like obviously while i was reading it i could sense the shift and i can sense like um the different types of art um i feel like i definitely agree with um like the humberto ramos like i specifically i've just pulled up i think uh it was like issue number six um and specifically i really love the way um humberto draws um anna marie i mean i'll just i keep coming back to her because i just love her but like i love specifically his peter design and anna marie's design because they both are just obviously very distinctive characters and also i feel like he has this way of obviously like Otto as Peter is a very mischievous character, but like you can just see it in the looks on his face. Like I can just look at Humberto's drawings of Peter and I'm like, oh yeah, he's up to no good. Like he, he has like, this is going to sound so stupid, but he has like evil eyebrows. <laughs> like if you go and look like he has some evil eyebrows and he totally is like lurking in the shadows doing like Otto Otto Octavius shit while he's Peter Parker. It just is so funny. But um those are attack eyebrows. <laughs> they are. Yeah, they're his attack eyebrows. Um but yeah, I mean, I feel like honestly, I enjoyed throughout. Um I don't feel like it was a super stark like, ooh, like that was weird. Um but then again, I just was so into the story that that might have just been me in the trenches. <laughs> but yeah, no complaints. I enjoyed it. I think, no, I think you're so right about the faces. Sorry. Yeah. I, yeah I just thought that the was faces a are different. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah. I think the character designs are the best with I mean, Umberto Ramos is one of my favorite comic book artists of all time. I have an original Spider-Man drawing from Umberto Ramos that I spent way too much money on at a New York Comic Con. Like he is my he is my heart and soul spider-man artist he is the person that means the most to me as a spider-man artist i mean like obviously i love john romita senior john romita jr i love steve ditko i think todd mcfarlane is an asshat but he draws a mean spider-man and like there are so many great Spider-Man artists, but like at the end of the day, when I close my eyes and think about Spider-Man, I will always see Umberto Ramos's artwork. He draws the most dynamic and slinky Spider-Man because I was talking with 
um, friends of the show, Ethan and Griffin, who have a great comic out right now called Kill Your Darlings that you should all go read. Uh, we were texting and we talked about this specific moment, 2013, when this comic starts coming out. Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man had just lit the world on fire. All three of us boys talked about how we had Andrew Garfield's hairstyle and clothes style and just tried so hard to be Andrew Garfield because of how cool he made The Amazing Spider-Man. And Umberto Ramos draws Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. Like that is who he's drawing. And it just was perfect for me as someone who went to the comic shop. And I don't know if I've, I've probably said this a million times, but like Superior Spider-Man number 10 was in the first three comics I ever bought. In the very first handful of comics I ever picked up, the Superior Spider-Man number 10 was in it. And I fell in love. And it I think it is in large part to Umberto Ramos's artwork because it felt alive. I fell in love with the comic book medium largely because these pages and layouts and just drawings are so dynamic it feels like the characters are moving like i you do not have to work hard to read one of these chapters and i think it is so telling that how fast i would read the arcs that umberto was on and how then there was like degrees of dynamism from stegman who i think at this point in his career drew a mean spider-man like every time he was in costume, it was stunning. And every time he wasn't, it got very boring. Like it wasn't, it's great work. Like Ryan Stegman is an incredibly talented artist, but it just, it loses the dynamism. At some point you can tell that he didn't know yet how to draw these human moments with the same energy that he was drawing the superhero moments. And then, I really, I really don't want to be a hater, but like Giuseppe Camoncoli's artwork for me, similar. It was so interesting hearing that he did Darth Vader work, because similar to Salvador Larocca, I think that human faces were a shortcoming of Giuseppe Camoncoli's work in this. Like he has such a a delicate and line heavy style that these characters always looked like older than they are and they look like wrinkly and kind of like grumpy and that works so well for science fiction and when you're drawing robots and that kind of stuff but in this run where almost 50 percent of the time it is just a soap opera with a bunch of random people talking to each other is when you really could feel the difference in ability to dynamically portray emotion and Umberto Ramos is just the king of that. Like you never have to guess how a character feels when Umberto Ramos is drawing it. And I just, I think it's stunning. Like I, I think my only sadness for this entire run was that Ramos didn't get to do Goblin Nation. And that's just like larger schematics here. Umberto Ramos does the next like 10 issues, I think of, just the regular Amazing Spider-Man, Peter is back in action. And so that's just the churn of comic books that it just was not his arc to be on. But with Giuseppe Camicoli being my least favorite artist on this book, it was a bummer that the big grand finale 
was from this artist who I bounce off of a little bit. And I, I think that is the closest I will get to a negative comment about this book because I still loved Goblin Nation. I think it's one of the f- most interesting and entertaining finales to a comic book ever. And the fact that we get to have a finale to the Superior Spider-Man is fantastic. So I want to talk a little bit. Let's talk beginnings and endings. I want us to talk about the Amazing Spider-Man 700. And I want us to talk about Goblin Nation. The handoff to Otto, Peter's last moments, and then Otto's last moments. And maybe talk about how they mirror each other and just what we think of those pass-offs. So can we start with Alexis, then Anne, then me? Absolutely. Yes, fine. I'll take I'll take the lead. Um, I definitely like that you mentioned that like the concept of them mirroring each other, um, because I feel like when I when I was when I sat down to read like the first issue of like the pass off, if you will, um, of Otto taking over, I was kind of just like, hmm, okay, like yeah, I'm reading this, I'm getting into it, you know, like oh whoa, like I definitely was not as like when did you know no when did you know it was Otto? because like it still surprised me i forgot that he was already in the body in 698 and i was reading and i was like peter's being an asshole and then i was like wait is Otto (laughs) already in there like i I had that moment too i was like he's being really mean i was like (laughs) racking my brain i was like is Otto? That motherfucker's already in there. That's exact. Yeah, that's exactly um, my exact same thoughts as well. Because I was like, "This is not my good little neighborhood Spider-Man. <laughs> He's kind of an ass." Um, but yeah, just to kind of like like the hostile jump, if you will, from our sweet sweet Peter to Public Enemy Number One Otto, and then just to like wrap it up in. Honestly, like, it was very emotional for me to, like, walk through Otto's memories, if you will. Like, them walking through it together. I was like, oh. Like, reminding him why he was a villain. I was like, this poor boy. This poor, poor boy. And just to have it come out to be, like, a beautiful rap of, like, bringing back Peter Parker to his consciousness, to his body. And them kind of going through that together and finding that together, I thought was very almost heartwarming to me, even though like, like obviously his memories were very dark and very gloomy and it was a very nitty gritty emotional memory lane, if you will. But I just thought that it was too, it was two perfect sides for this entire story. Like it just from start to finish was so interesting, had such good character beats and them kind of figuring out what they're doing with themselves was so great. Um, and to like have the triumphant return of Peter and like him trying to put all the pieces back together with um, Goblin Nation and all that. Um, I just really liked it. It just was good. I will, I'll say it again. I'm, I like Dan Slott. I like this stuff that he's doing out here with this bug boy. So I think it was, I think it was a really great ending. I was very pleased with the ending. I was like, I, I could feel the triumphantness. I was like, oh, yes, here we go. And it's it's funny to me that I didn't realize how long of a, like how long 
spread out this run was also. Like the three years, that's baffling to me. That's insane. I, Alexis, <laughs> I had not read Peter Parker as Spider-Man yeah. until months before that's I left crazy. as a missionary. That's insane. So I can yeah. only imagine how much of a victory that was when he did come back. I felt my heart was soaring <laughs> on eagle's wings because I also was a little idiot at this point. And so I didn't know. I don't know if he was ever coming back. I thought I hoped he would. Like when his spirit came back in the Venom arc, I was like, oh, I think this might be coming. And then like when Otto surrendered his body to him and Peter puts the suit back on like tears in the club. Oh, the my lunch. turn. My turn. Oh, so good. And the, the Green Goblin purse. Joe. <laughs> it goes, it's you. Iconic. It's you. Absolutely iconic. That is a page for bad bitches only, frankly. Mm-hmm. He's like, leave my purse out of this. Lex, <laughs> what did you think of dying, decaying Otto Octavius Peter Parker in his head? Wasn't that design from Humberto Ramos disgusting and awesome? When his body's just hanging there like a ghoul yeah. being carried on those tentacles, I was like, you, Humberto Ramos, you will always be famous. You could <laughs> smell like, him. You could smell him through the page. You could. <laughs> he reeks. He opens his mouth and just old man smell comes out. <laughs> oh, it was so good. And and what do you think of the beginning and ending of this run? I remember being there for the beginning of this run, actually, because it was one of those things where we weren't. I, I think when did this happen? Like late 2013, the, the Superior Switch happened? Or was it early 2013? I think late, but... Because I, I remember it was episode. happening about the same time that I was going into comic stores actively seeking out Aquaman back issues for the first time. And so my friend who I was going with at the time, I remember him telling me that, like, I think they're going to kill Peter. I think it's actually going to happen. I think we're getting like a, a death of Spider-Man issue. And because I was new and young, I was like, oh, oh, that's going to be fun. That's going to be fun. Probably not going to buy it, but if you buy it, make sure you let me let me read it because I'm really interested in what happens. And so he like he kept me filled in on what was happening. I got to read the two issues beforehand, and I remember we went and we got um, Amazing Spider-Man 700 together. And he read through it, and he's like, "Okay, here, you got to read this." And I remember reading it. And I was like, "Holy shit, that's wild! That was wild and crazy, and so so cool." And <laughs> I was like, this is, I, I don't, I don't think I'd ever seen a comic do anything like it. Um, I was like, I wonder how, I remember the the first thought being like, I, I wonder how long this is going to last. And I, I'm also young, dumb. I'm like, damn, maybe this is just forever. This is crazy. I can't believe they, I can't believe Marvel comics would do this. Um, and so that scene at the end where Otto is hit with the, the responsibility of it. And he has a very like almost heartwarming conversation with Peter about it. And you feel like, wow, this is not going the way I thought it was going to go at all. And he's going to try to go the heroic route and spinning into superior Spider-Man that I have finally gotten to read and seeing the conclusion that goblin panel gets, gets spoiled all the time. People drop that left and right like their pumpkin bombs or something. I got to read that in the wild and I squealed. I squealed. I had 
There were no spoilers for comics. I didn't know a single soul that read comics. It was Ugh. it was a golden time. It was a simpler time. It must have been a peaceful life. Uh, it was. Exist. I just got to like you, things. Listen, I want to go back to a time where I could just read a book and people didn't have to explain to me why it was wrong for me to like that book. It'd be so, so nice. But I digress. Um, that return was... It was great. It was triumphant. I can try to be a, a Parker hater as much as I want, but seeing that that man take back his his life, his memories, his responsibility was beautiful and incredible and amazing, spectacular, all of the above. And I just it's it's one of the, the coolest moments I've gotten to read in comics all year. Hell yeah. Okay, so we did get 100,000 million questions this time. Uh, 100,000 million and one, actually. Do yeah. we have any final thoughts? I know I shouted out earlier we were going to talk about Anna Maria. She is one of our questions. So Beautiful. we that there. Is there anything else we want to make sure we hit on in this first hour before we move into questions where, listen, we'll still talk about this book for an hour. <laughs> anything anyone has on their immediate mind before I move us on? Um, no, just, just great. I need to do a, a hard run of just slots era from beginning to end at some point, just because. Listen, morons will tell you it's bad. There are some bad parts <laughs> after this, but for my money, big time through superior Spider-Man, <laughs> all hits, baby. Nothing but the best it is so I, good. I think I've read a bit of big time. I've definitely read Spider Island before. Although it's probably right. been about four years, and now I've read Superiors. Now I gotta, I just gotta wrap it up. Listen, I feel feel like if everyone's telling me that I shouldn't and they hate me for it, I should probably have my own opinion on it. So should check it out for that reason, if nothing else. I should. If go I'm gonna back. be a degenerate to Spider Man Twitter. I should at least try to like the things they hate. Correct. I should go back and read all the Parker Industry stuff again and give it mm -hmm. a chance with hindsight now. Because I also was still an idiot when that was coming out. And I was like, I'm sick and tired of this status quo. How long is it going to go? I want Peter Parker to not be Iron Man. This is fucking stupid. If you want to write Iron Man, go write Iron Man. And then, dear listener, I was correct. He did want to write Iron Man. And he went and he wrote <laughs> three years of Iron Man after this. But there was a very real moment where I was like, that's not my Spider-Man. And now I need to go back. And just read it and have fun for what it is and see it as the culmination of what Slot has been doing with scientist Peter Parker. I think that, not to immediately derail us when I said I was going to not do this, but one of the brilliant aspects of Dan Slot's Spider-Man is with one person writing that book for 10 years, he had the latitude to take Peter Parker in directions we will never see him go again. Like we will never see Spider-Man go so far from the center line ever again. Because one guy got to tell every kind of Spider-Man story he could ever imagine. So it is chock full of, during the brand new day section where he's part of the writer's room, that is 100% back to basics, classic Spider-Man, introduce some new villains, have a storyline with all your favorite classic villains, 
he gets that out of his system. He becomes the solo writer. And so he's like, we've never had Peter do anything with his science background that he has. I'm going to do Spider-Man scientist. And he does that for 30 issues. And then he's like, we've never done brain swap. Dr. Octopus is Spider-Man now does that for 30 issues. And then he's like, all right, now if that is our empire strikes back moment, we're going to circle back and we're going to give a conclusion to Spider-Man as a scientist and building off these themes from Superior Spider-Man of Spider-Man's pride. And we're going to give a big finale of it all coming crashing down. Like we are going to have Spider-Man fly too close to the sun. And it's awesome. Like it's, it is so exciting. There was never a time when Dan Slott wasn't doing something interesting or crazy. And I think that's why a lot of people hate his run because they were like, not my Spider-Man, but like in retrospect, hell yeah. Like he took Spider-Man there. He consistently had Peter Parker doing interesting things and progressing all those things that we say we love in comic books. This idea of growth and change and characters that get to have stories with beginnings, middles and ends. Dan Slott's saga on The Amazing Spider-Man is arguably the closest we have gotten since Brian Michael Bendis on Ultimate Spider-Man. And then before that, Stan Lee, Steve Ditko, and John Romita Jr. through the death of Gwen Stacy. Like, you have Amazing Fantasy 15 to Amazing Spider-Man 121. That is a beginning, middle, and end of Spider-Man. And then you have Ultimate Spider-Man, which has a beginning, middle, end. And then you've got Dan Slott Saga. That has a beginning, middle, and end. And everyone else, there are great comics in here. This is not me coming in and being like, everyone else sucks. I started this show saying I love the majority of Spider-Man comics. Everybody else did not have the same latitude as those three creators and therefore did really great work within one or two degrees of removal from the central line of who Spider-Man is. And I just, I'm sorry. Like, that's exciting for me. As a lifelong fan of this character, I'm inherently more interested in these crazy takes than yet another Spider-Man does such and such with villain that I've seen a million times. Mm-hmm. Like, I've read thousands of these at this point. Like, I, I, I love Back to Basics as much as everybody, but, like, this rules. So, Hell long story short, you should read Dan Slot Spider-Man. It's great. And it's great that there are times that it gets to suck. Like, there are, there are bad storylines. The guy wrote it for 10 years. But at least he he takes a huge swing every time. And that rules. <sighs> Hell yeah. I love that. Do you want to get into the questions? Yes. Should I read the first one? I I can do it if you want. Hell yeah, you should. Okay, so the first question comes from Owen Seiler. Owen, I'm going to to shorten it down a little bit. You um, talked to us a little bit about the the first comics that you had fond memories for when you started reading, and those comics were The Flash, the New 52 run, um, the original Miss Marvel run by Jill Willow Wilson, and of course, Superior Spider-Man. And I love that you like this book too, and that it introduced you to three artists that you now love your questions are as follows 
which story from Superior was your favorite and which was your least favorite? So turning that over to the collective real fast before I get to part two. Um, my favorite might be Amazing Spider-Man 700. Like, mm-hmm. that sounds like such a cop-out. But <laughs> I will never forget that moment where Otto has the metal plating in the back of his mm-hmm. head and Peter fails. Like, I... Mm. That made me want to throw up. It was so good, so well-paced. That is an issue I have read probably 15 times. I just consistently... Anytime I want, like, good feelings, I go and read Amazing Spider-Man 700 again. That is a perfectly paced, wonderful single-issue comic book. Mm-hmm. Um, least favorite? I'm... Listen, this is like picking from a bushel of perfect apples here, but I don't care much about Spider-Man 2099. So like that little interlude is the closest I was to disinterested. It's like, I I don't care. I don't care about this. What the no. hell is going on here? The only fake swear words I care about are from the Stormlight Archive. I don't care about these <laughs> fake swear words. This is unshocking believable. No, I mean you're you're very true for that. I my eyes were glazing over in that run. I have to be honest. I mean, that that arc. I just everything with the time travel stuff, I'm like, I I I don't care. I, I this is the, the least in I think it's probably because I don't know any of the people from the Horizon Lab from the rest of it. So I'm just like They I, are great. Yeah, they they seem like nice people. But I'm just reading it and I'm like, I you can't at this moment. With the, the time pressure I am under this week, you cannot pay me to care at this moment, but thank you for trying. So that I'm was also gonna, my least favorite. I think my favorite. Hmm? I'm so sorry. I'm, I, interrupt, I interrupt you. I'm sorry. You go. No, no. Throw it out there. Throw it out there. I also was going to ask, did you care about the Spider Slayer stuff? Because that is also from earlier in the run. And that's like a big <laughs> emotional payoff to another storyline. It's like, did you I, care at all about that? I thought it was fun just because I love the moment. Every every single thing he tries, it seems like fire just shoots out after him because Otto's like, no, no, no. I thought of that. He's like, well, I'll try this great fire again. I just kept laughing. And it happened the next issue too, where he tries another great and there's fire again. And I, 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 I honestly thought that arc was a little hysterical. (laughs) Just absolutely driving this man to fucking tears. I think, listen, one of the things the visual dictionary ruined for me is spider slayers because I thought they were going to be so much cooler than they actually are. Because the like spider slayer in the visual dictionary is like a goddamn giant xenomorph looking thing, and then you see people like Alistair Smythe and they're just like walking around their little crustacean armor, and he's like, "I am the lobster, fear me," <laughs> and I'm just like, "I I can't, I I genuinely cannot." So it it was fun to watch him get a little um bamboozled and hijinked there it was fun i think my favorite arc was probably goblin nation just because i loved norman tearing shit apart and i have to admit the um the the face off mask reveal of norman and he just got these handlebar mustache just, just like that and i'm like it took me out for a second i'm like what the fuck am i looking at what just happened he's like oh no it's just norman he just changed his face i'm like oh he oh the, he does that now okay i guess this is what he looks like the hairstyle is only slightly better than what it was before awesome so those are my two 
if you read more slot spider-man you'll get to do the red goblin the big finale to the whole run and that is the peter and norman show off hell yeah oh carnage combines with the green goblin to make the red goblin and it is scary and sinister as fuck it is so good all of this weird shit right now with like normie and his mom and norman that you're like that's freaky that's yeah, the Liz. last arc that dan slot ever does at the God. very end of his run liz was acting so sus Ooh, ooh, so sus first love terrible like i love her right now as misery but that's completely aside the point lexi what are your two favorites i mean your favorite and your least favorite I think I have to agree with least favorite being um, 2099. Is it, it's 2099, right? Miguel. Yeah. I did Miguel. for like 35 seconds be like, oh, he is not as hot in this one as he is in that movie. And then I swipe past real fast. <laughs> I was like, mm, no interest here. Thanks. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I agree. All of that time travel stuff right over my head. Didn't care about it at all. Um, but I feel like my favorite might be but might be tied between um, Goblin Nation, but also I kind of liked the Venom stuff. That was kind of fun. I liked him thinking that he could beat Venom, and then Venom was like, listen here, bitch. <laughs> Let me make you worse. <laughs> it's like every toxic ex-boyfriend anyone's ever had. It's like, oh, you can fix me? Wrong. <laughs> I love the um the ten thousand IQ moment that yeah. Otto had when the symbiote came off. He's like, "Wait, I can use that." Oh, thank God, you saved me. Um, the yeah. symbiote's been doing that for months. Actually, it's crazy. I've been that's why I've been acting so weird. But yep. you saved me, and I'm normal again. Thanks, bye, <laughs> ciao. Mm-hmm. And they're like, <laughs> Tony immediately catching it. Like, none of you believe that, right? And they're like, No, that was some bullshit. Oh yeah, the I- Avengers were here. I did love Tony Stark coming in being like, I'm as smart as this guy. Like, you might be able to fool all the himbos, but I am a genius. Something is amiss. <laughs> I, listen, every, I love every time the Avengers shows up. It's like the, the most mid-level team you've ever seen in your entire life, which is it's so Thor, are. Black Widow, Spider-Woman, and Captain America. And they're like, don't worry, we are the Avengers. I'm like, girl... You had the actual spirit, the essence of the universe on the Avengers team at this moment. This is the only this is the only way your story makes sense if you're just like Hyperion's busy at the moment. Can you're I take team. A Be real. <laughs> this is yeah, no, this is the these are the ones who are like really committed to it. They 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 made the Avengers their personality. Everyone else is like, this is a side gig. They made <laughs> the Avengers their personality. Jessica made the Avengers her personality, Drew. Carol in it because she sleeps with Jessica Drew Danvers. <laughs> oh, the only one I can accept not being there. She's definitely just off planet at the moment. That's the that's the that's always the go to for Captain Marvel. She's just doing other things. She's doing space shit. You're not paid enough for space shit. Yeah, her okay. pager's broken. They can't find her. <laughs> Second question: Are you excited for the upcoming Superior Spider-Man revival being done by Dan Slott and Mark Bagley? Much love, Owen Siler. Yes. Yes, I am. I didn't know that existed. So I read the Superior Spider-Man one shot and it was great. It felt like coming home, baby. Like reading that, 
Alexis, it's a flat because Dr. Octopus is back in his own body now. And he was trying to figure out some science that he's like, ah, it's on the tip of my tongue. Wait, I think I solved that while I was the superior Spider-Man. And so he goes and it's like a flashback story to this time that he solved an energy crisis as superior Spider-Man. And it's just like a fun flashback story. And it was great. And I think they're going to do a bunch of those. So I just get more superior Spider-Man. And I'm hyped. I'm hyped. What can I say? I love Superior Spider-Man. Mark Bagley has been doing a great job as of late. Um, I still think they should let him retire. It's really so sad that they have him locked in the Spider-Man basement. And they only feed him uncooked bread. And by that, I mean not toast. (laughs) Just raw bread. That's terrible. That's how you get a disease, eating raw bread. He just has raw bread torn up and dropped into a bowl of milk and they slide it through a grate to him once a day. And he says, here's the 35 pages of Spider-Man I drew today. And they go, thank you. And then they sprinkle a little bit of cinnamon into the mix. And if he only does 31 pages, then he just gets raw bread in milk, no cinnamon. But all that to say, yes, I'm excited. Are either of you going to read it since now you love Superior Spider-Man? At Maybe. some point. Anne <laughs> 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 said, girl, I did my spider homework. I'm not I'm not picking that bitch up once a month. I'm not doing it. Comics are out here. Mm-mm. I picked up the next three volumes of Strangers in Paradise. I got shit to do. I got lesbians in the docket. I'm not reading Otto Gunther Octavius fan fiction. <laughs> His last name being Gunther is the dumbest thing about all that to me, and I don't know why. It's, it's like, why not just just pick another O name, find something. Otto Oliver Octavius. I don't give a shit. You're already committing to the stupid bit, so why don't you commit further? Otto Octavius uh, Octopus. <laughs> Otto Octavia Octavius. Exactly. My parents wanted a girl. There you go. Okay, that was that was it for the first question. All right, Lex, you want to read the next question from Carlos? Yes, I do. Let me scroll back up to it. Okay. Oh, hell. Uh, Superior Spider-Man is one of my favorite sagas in Spidey history, so I'm excited to hear y'all discuss it. My friend and I actually just did a retrospective on Superior pretty recently. Um, Now here are some questions. Did you know that Spider-Verse was originally planned as an arc in Superior? Um, presumably taking place across issues 20 to 25. I always fantasize about what that would have been like. What are your favorite arcs from the Superior Era? era? To to me, everything from Dying Wish to 2099 is pretty much perfect. Ooh, you're not going to like what we just said. And also love Goblin Nation. Lastly, will you be reading the new Superior series by Slot Bagley? If so, what are, your, some, what are some things you'd like to see? Sincerely, Carlos. Hello, Carlos. So we kind of answered those last yeah. two. But the first question, um, I did know that... So, Alexis, and and you probably know this, Spider-Verse, like the concept of the Spider-Verse, invented by Dan Slott. He Mm -hmm. wrote the storyline, the original Spider-Verse storyline. And they actually have time-traveling Superior Spider-Man shenanigans so he can be a part of Spider-Verse. Um, retroactively, but Peter is the main Spider-Man that we follow. 
So I just think conceptually, because you know enough about it from the the show, the movie, Alexis. Mm-hmm. How would you like Spider Verse if the main Spider Man was the superior Spider Man, pulling Ooh. up, meeting all those other Peters? That would be so good, purely just because he doesn't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> They, you know they would all have inside jokes and he'd be like, yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly what you said. <laughs> That's a perfect superior Spider-Man right there. Yes. My, what the part where someone's like, That's the scariest laugh I've ever heard. When he's just does a joke and he's like, Whoa! <laughs> yes, literally. That is exactly how he'd be at one of those meetings. And they'd all be like, Who the hell is this dude? He's the worst. I love him. <laughs> That would be funny. I would like that. He's terrible. Can you imagine him hanging out with Peter B. Parker? No. Peter B. Parker and the superior Spider-Man next to each other. You know he'd love Spider-Noir, though. Be real. True. Yeah, he was he was already annoying enough as a side character in the original. So I, you would have you would have had everyone rooting for Mulan, which honestly they should have been doing anyway. So say, say so that one more time. Say Moreland, the name one more time. Moreland, shut the fuck up! I know what I did. I know what I said. Well, uh, who's I this fancy man? Mor- who's this fancy man? Morlan. <laughs> Morlanda coming through, <laughs> sucking up the spiders. Listen. <laughs> Morlan. Honestly, probably more fit. It's, ve- it's very much his personality. Morlan. <laughs> <laughs> That's the craziest pronunciation I've ever heard. I. I when the Moira rose? I had a, I had a slip. <laughs> Moira. Crazy. Crazy girl. Crazy. Um, something I. Now on. Scenes that I would like to see in that new super- superior run. I'll throw you this one, Carlos. I'm very curious if it's it's all going to be flashbacks. And if it is all going to be flashbacks, I would like to see a little bit more interaction with the superior foes, which we get in the very first arc. Alexis, those shitty superior six in the very first arc of this, they get their own comedy series called the superior foes of Spider-Man about how bad they are at being supervillains in the background of all the shenanigans that superior Spider-Man's doing. So when Spider-Man is killing people, you've got these doofuses like Boomerang being like, how do we rob a bank when Spider-Man's cutting people's eyeballs out? Oh my gosh. So true. It's so funny. They made me laugh really hard. There's a part where there's this disembodied head leader of the mafia and they hook him up to an RC car and then just drive him away because <laughs> they don't want to deal with him. They just zip his disembodied head that's yelling at them away on an RC car. It's incredible. It's it's such a good book. Um, I'd love to see more of them. I'd love to see specifically Shocker. More of him. Always more Shocker. I love the Shocker. He is the one with the yellow quilted costume, Alexis. He's great. Um, all right. I can read this next question from Evan. This is a long one. This 
is going to be the only really long one we read. So, Evan, you are special. Um, hello, Anne, Dallas, and Lexi at the Collective. Longtime listener, first-time caller. See, yeah. Listen, this is a great way to get your long thing read. If it's your first time writing in, you're probably getting read. Typically, I don't really write into the shows I listen to, but when I heard you guys were doing Superior Spider-Man, I knew that I just had to. With Dallas consistently championing this comic, it was only a matter of time before you guys got to doing an episode on it. Avenging Spider-Man issue 22 was my first ever Spider-Man comic, and although it wasn't directly part of the main Superior run from the time period, it was still led by a Doc Ock-controlled Peter Parker. Imagine my confusion as a young tween. Regardless, it spurred a long-time love of Spider-Man that still continues to this day, and so my appreciation of that time in Spider-Man's life will never die. Since then, I've read the entire Superior run, and I can safely say it stands tall as one of my favorite Spidey runs of all time. While I understand the reason for its divisiveness in the community, I genuinely can't bring myself to dislike such a risky venture that pushed the boundaries of where a Spider-Man comic could go. Before I get into the questions, I do want to offer a sincere thank you to all of you at The Collective for doing what you do. In the past couple of years, I've really rekindled my love of comics from my childhood to an intense degree, and your show has been a major contributing factor. Waiting every week to hear what you guys have to say about comics I've never even heard of always inspires me to give new comics a shot and broaden my horizons. You guys are the best. Okay, but for real, on to the questions. First question, I'm sure you've already talked at length about Doc Ock's character exploration and sort of redemption throughout this run, so I want to know what other villain or villains in Spider-Man's large roster of rogues do you think deserve this sort of deep dive? Or rather, which of his other villains do you think could have taken Ock's role in this story and been equally or more interesting? So maybe we should talk a little bit more about how we think... Doc Ock grew and changed and just like his character in this story. And then if there's anyone else, we would have liked to see mind swap with Peter. I guess it was fun. It was fun seeing him change. I have, I have an answer for the next part, but I, th- I, I think the, the, the coolest thing about it was seeing how Ock related and acted to the people in Peter's life versus the people that he started having in his life. Um, I forget his name. I remember the nickname, though. I remember the schnoz. And um, I remember Maria. And, like, the two... The relationships he had with them were probably the most interesting through the whole thing. He was just so mean and cruel to to Don the whole way through. And then he ends up sacrificing himself at the end for Spider-Man. There's that moment where he realizes, like, shit. Peter never would have let this happen. And that was, like, that, that just that quiet moment that didn't happen a lot since that that 700 where Ock just has to sit and actually face the consequences of his actions and realize that that responsibility is something that he is not prepared for something that he's not ready for and I thought that was a a great moment and listen everything that Ock tries to do with MJ is is weird and creepy and intentionally so and it's it's gross and it's you know he's the the worst guy in the world but everything he had with Maria was surprisingly sweet because he wasn't trying to be everyone else's idea of Peter Parker. He was just being himself and he related to this woman and they found that connection. And that was something that was entirely his. And it was the fact that she was in danger that pushed him to finally admit that, hey, I'm not the guy to fix this Peter is. And he sacrificed everything to save her. And I thought that was really, really great. A really, really great way to end that story. How about you, Lex? 
What did you think of one Otto Octavius at the end? I a thousand percent agree with Anne. I loved watching him come to terms with realizing how good of a hero Peter is. Like uh, the bottom line, realizing like, oh, this wouldn't have never happened if this were Peter here. Like he was recognizing um, the impact that Peter's selflessness has on everyone around him and how little he would honestly, how little he'd cared about himself in a lot of situations of like, he would throw himself time and time again in front of a train to save a little kid. Like I love the specifically the scene where he, uh, where Peter yells at him to jump in front to get that little girl. Um, I feel like that was like a really big victory moment of like, yes, like look at him. Mm -hmm. Look, he does have, he does have morals. He's trying. Um, And then, then, and to then like go out of his way to help Peter get back and regain consciousness of his body. I thought was very cool. I don't know how you can read this and not walk away thinking Otto Octavius is one of the greatest supervillains and just villainous characters of all time. Like he has such a distinct and wonderful personality mm-hmm. and so much nuance to who he is coming out of this that he, for me, is up there with Dr. Doom as like characters I am delighted to see. Like I love every version of Otto Octavius. I know a lot of people have been sad that he is back to his classic bull cut round body in a green suit cackling like a mad villain, but it is such a distinct and wonderful voice that I like, I have this, I can read this whenever I want. I don't, want him as a hero like i like him as a villain i liked his heroic moments in this but reading this again like he always was kind of a shit and that was what made it really fun and like i i love the parts of this where he sneered at people and where he was like everyone around me is a moron and like he still does that as a villain and he's just such a great foil to peter i think Ultimately, Peter's arch nemesis will always be the Green Goblin. But the villain that is the most heartbreaking has to be Dr. Octopus. Like Sam Raimi showed us that in Spider-Man 2. Like Dr. Octopus is a good man held captive by his pride and by just like his shortcomings as a man. Like he could be Mm -hmm. Peter Parker, but he's not. And I love that Superior Spider-Man gave us a little bit of the reason why. Like, you are the people who raised you. And Peter Parker, who loves to be down on his Parker luck, he had a support system in Uncle Ben and Aunt May that Otto never had. And I I just, I loved it. I loved the depth that Otto Octavius got in this run. Mm-hmm. Um, circling to the real question now, who do I want in Spider-Man's body? Um, no idea. Actually, I have no idea. And you said you have an answer to this. Morlin, I want him to eat everyone. I want him to munch. I want him to chew. I want him to chomp. That that's what I want. the The one person who I think could genuinely 
um, fuck up Peter's life more than Otto is is Moreland. I think that'd be crazy. Really, really, really crazy. Because I, I thought Goblin for a second, but I was like, no, nah, that feels kind of weird. If you just like injected all that evilness into Peter, that it kind of feel weird. Oh, wait, did they just did they just do that? Oh, sorry, I'm You're I couldn't resist. Don't look at me like that. You're a villain. They're already going to tear us apart for this episode. I had to give them one thing. Hell, man, I love this book. Tear me apart for loving the book. Um, <laughs> Lex, is there a villain that you want to see be Spider-Man? I don't know. I don't know if there's any that would like compare to Doc Ock. I feel like Doc Ock is the perfect choice. I don't know. I agree. I feel uh, like all the other options are silly. <laughs> I True. This is somehow, like, this is still silly, but it's somehow the one that, like, makes the most sense. It does. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to throw some out here. Not really a villain anymore, but if they found a way to make Flash Thompson mm. Spider-Man for a little while. Not in, like, a brain-swappy way, but, like, a Peter gets hurt and Flash, using his anti-venom powers that he has now or whatever, has to don the suit. Like, Flash Thompson, Spider-Man's biggest fan, Peter Parker's bully, has has to step up and be Spider-Man for like a short while. I think that could be really interesting and fun. Like that, sound good. That's good. a fun 12 issues. It's not going to be superior Spider-Man. Like it, it does not have the same legs, but I think it could be really fun. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's a fair idea, but, but hear me out. We put Rhino in there and it's just Spider-Man <laughs> charging everywhere. His head down. <laughs> put lizard in there. Put I was lizard. gonna say Connors. Oh, when Kurt Connors was like, "I just kind of like prison. I'm healed, but I'm, I'm just gonna stay in prison." <laughs> like, I just like it here. I I ate it, little boy, a, a hundred issues ago. I I gotta stay in jail. I'm so. They, I'm gonna atone for those things. You you can't. Know. They have big Listen. heat lamps and they they spray me yeah. down every day. <laughs> you know, if he was mind swapped with Peter, he would just lay on every single roof, just as close to the sun as he can get. <laughs> I get just... my crickets on the daily, <laughs> at Dude, the same time. <laughs> they feed me delicious crickets. Yo, <laughs> he's like Chris Bocciolo was drawing me. I've never looked better, but I did eat that little boy. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, I gotta stay in jail. <laughs> Um, uh, second question do you all think it's possible for Spider-Man comics to ever be this risky and interesting again uh, if so I'd love to hear any ideas you all may have in trying to spice up modern Spider-Man comics Listen, this is this is Nick Lowe's burner account. I don't think anyone's Nick Lowe just emailed to spice us. up Spider-Man anymore listen here Evan uh, I want to write Spider-Man professionally someday so I will keep my ideas to myself but uh I think I spoke on this a little earlier. I think the longevity of Dan Slott's run allowed him to get away with stretching the character as much as he did. And I also think this came out at a perfect time where like Axel Alonso and I feel really bad. I don't remember his first name, Steve. I don't remember his last name, but the editor in the spider office at that time were both big proponents of new and exciting comics like marvel was doing all sorts of brave crazy things at this point and we are very much in a back to basics regime right now both cb sabolsky and nick lowe are both stay close to the median line 
editors. And I, I'm not going to hop on the Nick Lowe hate train that the internet has, but he's a very different editor. And I don't know that Superior Spider-Man would have happened in the same way under his tenure. Um, so I don't know. I certainly not. There is a certain Dan Slott sells the shit out of comic books that lets him, like Tom King, get away with doing basically whatever he wants. Like mm-hmm. He gets to write whatever stories he wants because they always sell. He just had a 40-issue run on Fantastic Four. Not even Jonathan Hickman did that. Like, people buy Dan Slott's comics. Yeah. I don't, I don't have any ideas, but... Hey, okay, What if they got married? Has anyone pitched that yet? It, that wouldn't fix a damn thing. Still ate it. It's okay. <laughs> You sounded like Buddy the Elf there for a minute. You sit on a throne of lies. <laughs> Channeling that energy, to be honest. You don't oh, still hate it. Here's the season. I see through your bullshit. I know. Because if they don't do it exactly right, you'll fucking scream. It's not the wedding that matters. It's the one that exists in your head. Welcome to ASMR. This is the Comic Collective. I have no fucking clue how to make Peter Parker interesting. I don't think it can happen, truthfully. Listen here, as a white guy that's quirked up <laughs> in his almost 30s, Peter Parker will always be interesting. He's my surrogate character. Listen. I, this I, is, if I was writing Spider-Man, I just had the red button in front of me that every time I press it, the word Mer- Moreland shows up on the page. I'm like, hell yeah, now we're cooking. We're back listen, to real comics, baby. We are one hour and 40 minutes into this podcast. I can say whatever I want. The haters have left. I continue to love Spider-Man comics because many of you all hate it when Peter Parker is not dating the supermodel because that means that you are not dating the supermodel. As a guy who looks like Peter Parker and is married to a supermodel, I don't give a shit what that comic book guy is doing. I am consistently going to sleep happy as a clam next to the hottest woman I've ever seen. And I can just read Spider-Man being like, he just liked me for real. Except my dating life is wonderful. I'm sorry you don't have that. But I will never hate these comic books because the guy is like me. I don't need him to also do my dating life for me. When he dates, I love it. I love Peter Parker and Mary Jane Watson. I think they're one of the greatest couples of all time in fiction. And I am devastated that shenanigans continue to keep them apart. Like I felt it in this run again when Peter and MJ are this close to being together and that gets blown up by Spider-Man's life again. Like Mm -hmm. it still breaks my heart. I'm still like, I want those crazy kids to make it. Like when they finally get that big kiss in JMS's Spider-Man, when they've been on again, off again, and then you just get to see them as a couple and like doing well, it's amazing. Like I love them, but that's just that's not what's going on in the comics right now. Like I I have no control over that. I don't think anybody has any control over that that we know the name of. You know, like I don't think we know the person's name who has to sign that and say, "Yep, you can put them back together." Yeah. And so I'm not going to spend my time hating my favorite character because he doesn't get to surrogate date the girl I want him to. Like I'm sorry. I the only 
benefit that those two being together gives me is that one day they can have that that wonderful baby that goes up in a futuristic version of the 90s to be the best not lesbian you've ever seen in your entire life. They they say she's not, but I've seen her attire. I've seen how Mayday Parker dresses. I I've seen how she cuts her hair. We know. Everyone else knows. Marvel doesn't, but we know. And I miss my Mayday Parker. Spider-Girl is a great book. Never read it. We should do it sometime. I would. That sounds fun. Yeah. Uh, right. Um let's keep plowing through these. Hell yeah. Next question comes from Zenith Henderson. Hello, Comics Collective. My name is Z, avid listener and lifelong comic fan, and I wanted to ask everyone about their feelings on the character of Otto Octavius and how Superior Spider-Man served to change the perception of one of comics' greatest nemeses in the modern day. Have a great day, everyone. Can't wait to listen to the episode. Well, thanks for writing in, Z. Do we have anything else we want to add to this? Because I feel like this is one we've kind of touched on a bit already. I think I've said all my pieces. Mm-hmm. do you have anything Lex? Mm, I might say that I like the concept of the evil genius being paired up with an equally genius hero I think that that's a very fun battle of the brains but also with the bronze also I think that's very fun so I like that I like the pairing of them Nice. I think that this run really highlighted how much of a genius Otto Octavius is yes which I really enjoyed yeah. I really liked that a lot because like he always has to lose in the Spider-Man stories. And so a lot of the time like he comes across bumbling. But he's not. He is he's wicked smart, okay? He's wicked smart. <laughs> and it was just really fun in this run to see him be wicked smart. Mm-hmm. And like every time he was in that lab coat with those evil red goggles his on. Goggles. Oh my with gosh. with his robot butler. <laughs> How did we not talk about his backup? Evil Dr. Octavius. Dr. Frankensteining with his evil butler behind him, just <laughs> and then Sajani's just in the background, like, what did I sign up for? <laughs> I know neither of you know her super well, but it's so funny because she is like sort of like the bad girl at Horizon Labs that Peter is like she always kind of sneers at Peter. And so when Otto takes over and she starts to respect Peter, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. She's like, finally, a guy who gets it. I love that. I'm going to take All the right, next Anne, question, do you want to read? Too, yeah, you wanna I read felt Ed? like... Reading Ed's? Ooh, let me find Ed's. Okay, yep, I got it. Hey, Collective, I see you put Superior for this week's reading slot. Quite the engaging book. My questions this week are, one, Superior is a story like Breaking Bad or Cobra Kai that explores the complexities of bad people. What are some of your favorite stories in this genre? Um, mine is definitely um, the movie Suicide Squad, the, the original one by, by what's his, what's his, what was that director that did that? Um, we wanted, I'll, I'll remember. I, I can't, com- I can't commit to this joke anymore. Anyone else have something? Give me, give me anything. I just watched David Fincher's newest movie, The Killer, about a killer. He's a real bad guy, but I had a great time following him. Also, Better Call Saul. I know every person you know that likes Better Call Saul has evangelized Better Call Saul more to you than even I did as a Mormon missionary with the Book of Mormon. When you think of pushy people about their beliefs, 
Here's the list going up from number three. Number three, the Mormons. Number two, the Jehovah Witnesses. Number one, the Better Call Saul fans. But (laughs) Better Call Saul is actually that good and more important than either of those previous two messages that I just shared. If you like morally gray dirtbags who are really smart but only use it for evil, Saul Goodman's your guy. That is one of the greatest television shows of all time. Far and away better than Breaking Bad, and Breaking Bad is mm-hmm. excellent. Watch Better Call Saul. Nice. Think Hannibal was a good show. I liked Hannibal. That was it was it was interesting. That that's my only genuine um answer because the other one I was gonna say was Wreck It Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good How about one. you, Lex? Do you have any that you love? I don't know. There aren't really any that are coming to mind. How about the fifth A Court of Thorns and Roses book? Okay. Yeah. I was gonna try and not say any books. But we're not gonna we're not gonna spoil anything for Anne. But that's the fifth book, baby. Mm-hmm. God damn it. Is evil Public people enemy number one. Evil people like being that. good. Sort of. What? <laughs> Question mark. Mm, also, or I just Throne of Glass, the book. Neither the, of you really know that, but no. Listen, the fifth A Court of Thorns and Roses book is the superior fairy porn. That's what that is. <laughs> it's the superior Spider-Man of the, the A Court of Thorns Spider-Man. and Roses. She is. <laughs> I would be a greater protagonist than Farah ever cried. by her. <laughs> oh, as the villain Man. of our family, I feel seen by her too. It's crazy that they made Amarantha the lead of that book. I know. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> no. Anyway. Next question. Okay. Um, Moving on. Also for number one, the, the comic Luther is incredible. You should read it. I should read that. Um, Lex, will you read Glenn's question? Sure. Uh, dear dolls. Love you for that. How dare you firstly not invite I, the superior spider fan, onto the show. You will pay for this indiscretion. Uh, no, nah, I'm kidding. Number one, each of you give your best the die is cast. Oh, I'm ready for it. Did you know there's a part where the Spear Spider-Man says this. He like kicks down the door and he goes, the die is cast. And it's so <laughs> slay. So I there's know. mine. There's I right. need each of you to give me a, the die was cast. The die is cast. Mm-hmm. Dolts. Gotta get into the, the headspace. <clears throat> the die is cast. <laughs> Outstanding. Outstanding. Now, Alexis. Oh, hell. Perfect. I have stage fright now. You got this. Come on, Miss Actor. Don't make me laugh. Um, The die is cast! (laughs) Why does yours smoke so much? Fair. Why was that like a Jewish grandmother? You sounded like me alone. You were the the person mocking Otto as he came through the door. You're like, oh, the die is cast. Okay, fine, whatever. The die is cast, doll. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta go get my bagel and looks. I was thinking today about how Peter Parker's from Queens, and so he's absolutely like, "Uh, whatever you call it, uh, bacon, egg, and cheese. Uh, (laughs) It's true. Nobody ever talks about that. What are you talking about? I'm walking here. 
Uh, he absolutely has an atrocious accent. Um, I want to read Ed sent in a PS that I think is really fun. Yeah. He says, what is your favorite? What the fuck is this? That's This is so stupid. Oh, wait, I love it. Book or any other piece of media. It's like, what is something you thought was going to be stupid that you loved? <laughs> it's a quarter of thorns and roses. Very porn. <laughs> Very porn. It's absolutely a quarter of thorns it's and absolutely roses. Absolutely a quarter of thorns and roses. Listen. Welcome to the I, fold. I'm so glad I've corrupted okay. both of no, you. No, no, no. Wait. Can, can I get the pitch for this one? I want to get the pitch yes. for this one. <gasps> Let's hear Everyone the new me. girl's pitch. Go for it. Yeah. Because I've fallen so quickly down this well. Um, you will read A Court of Thorns and Roses and be there reading this book, forcing yourself to read this book because you're like, everyone in my life has told me I need to read this stupid book. What is it? It is it it, it starts off just like the most like book you've ever read in your life. It's like, okay, I, I think I get what's happening here. Okay, it's, it's turning into Beauty and the Beast. Okay, um, I guess everyone just kind of rude. It's it's very violent at times. Okay, there's there's some sex stuff, I guess. That's that's great for them. Good good job, straight people. You you crushed it. Um, and then the like third act happens. You're like, wow, that got really dark. It was, at least it was very interesting. The main character got a lot to do, but it was, you know, it was, it was an okay book. And you start reading the second book and you're like, oh my God, it's more of the same. She's going through hell. It's just like, this is just a dredge. Oh my God. Oh my God. And then something happens at like 125 pages in and you're like, wait, wait, hold on. Is this, is this, rewind take it back reverse it um shit and then it just keeps building and building you're like this isn't what i expected this isn't what i thought it was going to be at all and then there comes a moment where you start to realize you're rooting for the exact opposite of what you thought you would be and you reach a point where you're like this is the greatest ensemble of characters i've ever seen and you start rooting for the main character in a way you weren't before. And then she starts to show herself in a way she was never showing before. And the way these characters mesh and click is so perfect and so ideal. And then you reach the end of that second book and it feels like it's going to be the most like empire strikes back ending of all time. And then you reach the end and you're like, wait, no, 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 no. What? And then all of a sudden you're in the third book and you're coursing through every single page in like five minutes because you're like it's the best shit you've ever read in your life. And it just comes together into this beautiful tapestry that is just so fun. And it's just it, it blows your mind. It absolutely blows your mind. And this is coming from <laughs> this is coming from the gayest girl you've ever met who has never rooted harder for straight people in her entire life. <laughs> and it was it was it's just it's just a blast. It's just so fun. It is it is for all those girlies out there who loved Twilight as a kid, but wished that the relationship wasn't toxic. And if it was, they actually addressed it because damn, wow, it is, it is, it's, it's great. It is a thousand percent the best thing I've discovered this year. Fuck comics. I'm only into the fairy smut. Yeah, listen, I was like, I'm not reading your damn fairy porn. And then my wife was like, please, 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 please. And then my sister joined in with her, going, please, 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 please. So I had two of them in my ears. I told your wife to read it. 
you both said, of you are going. It's a book. You read please, this please. book. You're going to like it. I promise. I got it from both sides. Just please, 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 please. And I finally broke down and I read it. And I read the first book and was like, that was fun. And I read the second book and I was a crying mess. And I read the third book and I was like writing to Rohan with my tits out with all the other fairy girlies. <laughs> and then I read the Christmas special and I was like, it is the most wonderful time of the year. And then I read the fifth book and I was like, this has been very smut all along. <laughs> This is garbage. This is I, I honestly can't wait for Anne's commentary on the fifth book. I this, just I picked up this. the next two books when I was at the when I was out <gasps> yesterday. We we went out shopping and we we almost made it. We made it the entire way. It was like we kept going around the books and co. And it's like you know what? We don't need to make bad decisions tonight. Don't need to make bad decisions. And then I realized they were closing in five minutes, and I had to make a bad decision. So I'm like, I need those next two books because awesome. I'm going to finish this book in like two days. Don't you just love how big this is? She's a big, hefty girly. Yeah, that fifth book is big. She I, I will never forgive that fifth book for me sitting in an office full of a bunch of middle-aged men while I'm working on an Excel sheet. And it's like, and she loved the way that his silky balls felt slapping against her as he railed her from behind. And I was yeah. like, I gotta go. <laughs> I was activating my fight or flight. <laughs> Those books are so good, though. Yeah. Um. Alexis, I totally realize we totally didn't let you finish Glenn's second question. And this will be our last question. Glenn's You're second gonna... one, because it's going to be a hefty discussion because we're going to talk about our favorite girly that we haven't really talked <gasps> oh, yeah. about just in general as well. Okay. So second piece of Glenn's. It says, one nitpick about this run is how May treats Anne-Marie. This seems very off for her house, for, uh, very off for how she's been for, well, ever. Thoughts? Question mark? Let's talk about sweet, sweet Anne-Marie. Let's talk about Anna Marie. Oh, May should have died. She should have never been around to have opinions. Listen, I it's it's one of those things where it's like if you have older relatives and you bring around anyone that is not like the stereotypical normal person TM, and if there's anything um about them at all that they are not expecting and you're just like it is about five seconds before they say the most out-of-pocket shit i've ever seen in my entire life that's how may felt to me in this book where it's like i just i i didn't get it i i didn't click with it but at the same time it's like it wasn't completely unexpected i wasn't sure what that was the angle they were going for but she did seem very very off almost like she had a little auto in her brain too it very much it felt out of left field from May Parker, but it felt very your grandma. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was like, looking at her face, I was like, that's exactly how you would act. But like, she has been sweet, old, like, always perfect Mrs. Claus Aunt May forever, that it felt very weird. And so I also am very torn about that scene where I'm like, I feel like that was an interesting conflict point between Otto and May, but also like, feels weird for may to have an issue like me especially this era of may who has just been working at the feast center for like three years in these comics and like heart of gold may parker all of a sudden yeah is like this is where i draw the line like what the hell any thoughts Lexi? i agree i didn't like it and i also like i'm not a huge spider-man 
taker in of information. But even me, I was like, ooh, that doesn't seem like that's a part of her character. But okay. And who, as someone who has a grandma who shares a lot of unfiltered opinions, I also felt very seen by that as well. I was like, well, <laughs> okay. Okay, Janie, hello. <laughs> All right. Let's spend these last few minutes talking about Anna Marie, just in general. Let's close mm-hmm. it out in a good way. What did we think of her? I love, I feel like for me, um, just out the gate, she like struck me as a very interesting character of someone who, I mean, was set up for Otto to kind of be like, mm, like, what do, you, what do you want with me? Like, I don't need your tutelage. Like, what do you mean? I'm a super genius. And then like to go over and just like him be so utterly surprised by like how much he enjoys her company <laughs> and like how much he enjoys another intellectual human being who's kind to him and that will be willing to spend time with him. Um, And then to just see their relationship develop of both of them just really enjoying each other's company and bonding over their intellect, I thought was very, it was very sweet. I really liked it. I liked having Otto have somebody that liked him for him, you know, like, he found on his own and she was a part of his life, not necessarily Peter's life. Um, and also like, I know um, I would love to be a fly on the wall for the repercussions of that afterwards. Cause like, it's so sad. I don't, I, I don't want to know, but I'm at the same time. I'm like, I do kind of want to know because he doesn't mm-hmm. know, <laughs> but she, he, he's a very good guy and he like, he lets her down easy, but like, it, it's so sad. Yeah, because you're like, come on. <laughs> like I know it wasn't you two that fell in love, but she okay. don't know that. I yeah. I genuinely wish she was in this run more, just because I loved her so much. I thought her introduction was so well handled, and she's just a genuinely awesome character. And I love getting that that perspective. Her, um, her identity in comics it's not something you get to see often in media like this and it's something that's not made a big deal of at all which i appreciate it's just she is just a a person a regular person and i love loved having that representation i thought she was absolutely a wonderful addition to the spider-man mythos and i know she probably doesn't but i wish she was still hanging out and doing things because she's just too smart and too fun to let go it does feel like I have no idea how you incorporate her in without Otto around, you know, and it doesn't feel mm-hmm. right to have her join up with like Otto as a villain, but like her, she is missed. She is an incredibly dynamic and interesting character that I think bounces off of Otto so well. Like this book, it does not have as much punch without her in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I like this, like, I like that she was smart and kept up with Otto that way. I like the, like, she was sexy, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. I liked their scene in the, with the bioluminescent fish all around. Like, I, that made me happy. It made me happy that, like, they had sexual romantic chemistry. Like, it never felt like this was a very special episode of Spider-Man. Yeah. Like, it. this is just Spider-Man's girlfriend now. And she is just as dynamic, interesting, and beautiful as all of Spider-Man's other 
amazing love interests over the years. Like, mm-hmm. Spider-Man's love interests are stacked. Like, every single one of those women, fantastic. Like, from from the get. Like, I don't think there's been a single one I haven't liked. Betty Brant, you will always be number one in my heart. Uh, <laughs> Mary Jane Watson, you're also pretty great. There's... I it, It's one of the tragic things about comics where it's like, you know, every hero will have that reset to normalcy and every villain will too. And in arcs like this where the villain gets to have like that that slice of normalcy and that, that bit of like, what could my life be like if I wasn't like the villain of the story? Like one of the, the most tragic rewrites I think I've seen in like the last 10 years has been Ocean Master in John's Aquaman. Cause after that, he... Um, after his villainous turn in that story arc, he met up with this this woman and son and became like a protector to them and became the step and father. And it was it was a great relationship that just got completely tanked because it's like editorials like, OK, we need this man back as back as a villain because whatever John's had planned for him isn't happening. So he needs to go back to what he was doing and any potential for further growth there just got tossed aside because it's like we need to reset. And I I miss having characters like that because I feel like they really bring something unique out of these characters that the hero alone never does. It's just a, a wonderful a wonderful perspective to have on them, and I don't think this book would have been half as good without her. I agree. Do we have any final thoughts about the Superior Spider Man? Love it, hate it. You should at least give it a shot. I love it. I love it too. <laughs> I think it's so fun. I am so happy. It's the one Dan Slot Spider-Man omnibus that exists, which is a travesty. We need all of his running omnibuses, but I love having a superior Spider-Man omnibus. Like it just feels correct in my heart that I own this. And rereading this, thank you, Anne, for putting this on the show this week. I had the time of my life rereading this. Like this rekindled a big big superhero love in my heart hell yeah like i felt like a teenage kid running to the comic store again like i was so worried it wasn't gonna hold up i was so worried that this run that i loved starting was not gonna be great and it felt wonderful (laughs) that it exceeded those expectations like it I love that for you. You know, you you gave us the lesbians last month, so I had to I had to give something for you back. It's only True. fair. <laughs> True. All right, let's roll out of this place. You got it, boss. <sighs> All right, everyone. If you like our show and want to hear more from us throughout the week, please go follow our Twitter account at CMX Collective or our TikTok account at the Comics Collective, or you can find each of us at our personal Twitter accounts at Dallas underscore comics, at Ann Comics, and at Lexi Lou underscore comics. If you enjoy the show and want to show your support, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and give us a five-star review. And if you write something down, we'll read it off on the show. And finally, feel free to send us your questions or comments to us at thecomicscollective at gmail.com. And next week, I'm very excited for this one. Uh, we will be joined once again by dear friend of the pod, Evan, and we'll be reading Scott Pilgrim. Ooh. We're doing it with the Netflix release of the Scott Pilgrim anime. We're reading it all. Listen, problematic comics back to back, baby. Hell <laughs> yeah. I'm stoked. We'll see you all next week. Bye. Sounds great. Bye. Bye.